Let me just rephrase it because you said a pretty huge statement. If you are a Christian couple and you yeah. choose not to have children, you doubt their Christianity. I, I don't doubt it. They're absolutely not. Are right. you kidding me? Are you no, kidding me? We can't go around camouflaging something the way it is and, and, and pretend it's something else and call it the same thing. It's not, man. That's like, like Paul Martin and all these guys. Oh, we're Catholics. We're Catholics. Gretchen, we're Catholics. You know what? The truth is they're not. Now, do I love them? Of course I do. They're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. See what I'm saying? The Catholic thing is, what? You don't go and do this, do that, and call, oh, we're Catholics. We don't care what the church says. Well, it's the same thing here. I'm sorry, you know? Well, I'm, I'm still digesting that because... Because uh, it's harsh in this day and age. Well, no, 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 here. buddy, buddy, oh. you, you know that I'm not a politically correct suck-up, okay? I'm uh, not wired that way, so just because it's this day and age doesn't mean jack to me. Listen every Saturday between 1 and 5 for The Drew Marshall Show, right here on Joy 1250. You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talkback program. Well, one day, let's see, a few weeks ago, my phone rang. Drew. Yes? Gavin McLeod. Oh, Mr. McLeod, how are you? I had a great conversation with him. What a, what a generous character he is. Of course, we had a tremendous interview with him a little while ago. But he said, look, would you be interested in interviewing uh, this fella? A guy by the name of Dean Jones. Have you heard of him? <laughs> Have you heard of him? I'm telling you, one of the most recognizable actors of, of our time, Dean Jones, is probably most remembered, of course, as the race car driver Jim Douglas and all those uh, Herbie, uh, the Lovebug Disney classics. He also uh, appeared as the evil vet, Herman Barnick, in that great family flick, Beethoven, along with many other Disney favorites, such as that darn cat, the ugly, now this is how you pronounce this, folks, Duxhund. Everyone calls it Dashound, but it's a Duxhund. Blackbeard's Ghost, Snowball Express, and of course, Shaggy DA. He's made some 45 motion pictures, probably more, working with everyone from Elvis in Rock Around the Clock to Harrison Ford in Clear and Present Danger. And Dean Jones, uh, I, I got to tell you right off the mark here, I just got to thank you for providing me some of the greatest childhood memories. Well, you know, that makes me happy, Drew, to hear you say that. But uh, I'm coming here on the recommendation of Gavin McLeod. Are you sure he's a man that can be trusted? <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is a fun guy, let me tell you. Yeah, he's a dear friend, and uh, I appreciate his, uh, his thoughtfulness to recommend me to you. I understand you have a, a, a good listening audience up there. That's what they tell us. Well, I don't know whether they're good. There's a lot of them, but... Uh, <laughs> no, he okay. said, uh, yeah, uh, Gavin was saying that he and his wife uh, had dinner with you and your wife recently and just That's just right. said well you know what you got to go on this show so here we are here we well, are well it's it's a pleasure your gift of entertaining people goes way way back. i don't want to make you sound like a like a fossil here i think but it goes way back i mean at, at 13 you're singing in the sanitarium and 15 you're on the radio yeah that's right in in high school decatur alabama uh i um i had a little uh, trio and uh, we used to go out to the tubercular sanatorium and entertain the uh the patients out there 
and then somebody in the local radio station said, uh, "Would you would you like to sing on radio?" And I said, "Sure." So uh, I just uh, melded into that, and, uh, and the rest is history. I'm not going to tell you what kind of history. <laughs> <laughs> well, you dropped out of Asbury College, I think, to join the Naval Air Corps during the Korean War. Is that right? That's correct. Stationed in San Diego. Would you please explain to our listeners how your singing actually reduced the spread of VD? Well, uh, I was. I, I, that is true. Uh, I think I had a bit to do with it. Uh, Commander Utility Wing Pacific Fleet, Commute Wing Pack, called me into his office one day and he said, uh, Jones, are you the guy that uh, is, is on Channel 8 on Wednesday singing uh, in, in San Diego? And uh, did, uh, are, are you the guy that's appearing at a nightclub in National City on your off nights? And uh, I said, yes, sir. He said, okay. Uh, he said, uh, as, as of right now, uh, it's your job to lower the venereal disease rate at this, at this naval station. And, uh, I, I, I was dumbfounded. As you would, as anybody would be, I think. And, and, uh, he said, you, you will put on shows here. You will produce shows here. You will keep these sailors aboard this station. We were half a mile from Tijuana, uh, incidentally. Hmm. Uh, we were right uh, near the border. We, our our job uh, was uh, flying our drones, our F6F Hellcats, a a uh, uh, an obsolete World War II fighter plane, out over the fleet, and the fleet used us for target practice. Our own guys were shooting at us. This was our mission, and uh, we had destroyed so many uh, other people's airplanes. Uh, coming back and trying to land ours after they'd been shot up by our own people, uh, that uh, they shipped us down there to uh, half a mile from Tijuana, and the end of the strip was the Pacific Ocean. So that's why we were down there. But the VD rate was astronomical. Uh, the commute wing pack uh, said uh, we have the highest venereal disease rate of any station in the U.S. Navy. Oh, no. And your job is to lower it. And I, I, I said, well, what do you want me to do? He told me that I would be producing shows. So I, I uh, scrounged talent from uh, North Island Naval Air Station and from other uh, naval facilities and uh, from all of the uh, chorus lines in, uh, in, in San Diego and any, any talent I could find. And finally was calling the Hollywood studios and saying, could you send me some talented people? So that's, that's how, and, and uh, it did lower the venereal disease rate uh, to my shock. That, you know, when I first came across that bit of information, I, I must have sat in my chair and chuckled for about two minutes. <laughs> well, I, I'm still uh, uh, chuckling 50 years later. Oh, my uh, goodness. Through. Well, look, I, I'd like to sort of track the God stuff in your life a little bit, because in doing the research, it... It certainly seems like God has had his hand on your life right from January, what was it, 25th, 1931 in Alabama? That's correct. Um, now, as an only child, Dean, who had more of a spiritual impact on your life? Was it, was it your mom or, or your, your dad, the construction worker? Well, uh, both of them. Uh, both of them loved the Lord. Uh, they, they lived out their lives uh, trying as best they could to honor God. And so I knew I knew the gospel. I mean, I knew the word uh, when I left home. But when I left home, I left church. And uh, well, did you make a commitment to Christ as a teenager? Yes, I did. 
Yes, I did, uh, at 15 years of age. And uh, as I say, I walked away from the Lord and from church uh, when, I, when I went away to school. And uh, then in the service, uh, I, I was not walking with Christ. And uh, later on in Hollywood, the first 20 years I was here in Hollywood, uh, I was in the fast track. And yet the more success I had, the more depressed I got. Sure. And uh, I just found that it was not, uh, I mean, stardom, uh, money, beautiful women, uh, fast Ferraris, all the rest of it uh, was uh, still leaving me empty. And I kept thinking there's got to be something more to life than what I'm living. I had everything that I thought would make me happy. On the phone with Dean Jones. Uh, Dean, would you say that your rise to fame came fairly quickly? I mean, after your time in the service, you you kind of hit up the coast from Tijuana or close to it, uh, I think about 54, 254 bucks in your hand, and joined the Birdcage Theater at Knott's Berry Farm, and then you started making 36 bucks a week, and a short while later you're making 750 a week in the movie musical The Boyfriend, and then in a blink of an eye you're making 52 grand a week, and, and having lunch with Walt Disney. Yeah, it did seem quickly, but uh, actually, there was a year at Knott's Berry Farm working for thirty bucks a week, thirty-five dollars a week, doing four shows a day, um, and uh, then there was uh, a contract at MGM uh, that uh, was over a period of four years. So it was a little more drawn out uh, than that. But um, uh, I had to go to New York really to have a hit. And that was a, a comedy uh, on Broadway, and uh, that's what really started things off. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I was very blessed in, in those terms, uh, except, as I say, uh, it, it never satisfied me, no. and I kept searching. Well, while we're in the uh, in in the glory time of your life and talking about all the schmoozing and, and, and great work that you've done over the years, you know, there's some people that you rub shoulders with, and I know you don't like to sort of toot your own horn and go on and on and on about the Hollywood side of your life. So let's just go through this fairly quickly. Walt Disney, what comes to mind when you hear the name Walt Disney? A common man. Really? Yeah, down to earth, accessible. Uh, you could walk into his office and, and talk to Walt when uh, you had a question about a script or about the way we were shooting something. Uh, he was um, more like uh, he would come on the set and say, "How are you gonna, how are you gonna do this scene? I mean, how do you get the cat to uh, jump up on the ironing board and then leap to the ceiling and get the duck that you just shot uh, off the, off the hanging up there? And how are you gonna, how did you train it? He's asking the cat trainer at this point. Yeah, how did you train the cat to do that? He was very interested in the details of making motion pictures, and uh, he almost seemed more like a tourist who just wandered in from Duluth, Minnesota, uh, instead of the uh, owner of the studio. And uh, I loved Walt. Uh, my folks were visiting the set one day, and I took them up to meet him. And uh, after five minutes, I said, well, uh, Dad and Mom, I said, uh, i got to go back to work. Come on, let's go now. And uh, what I was really saying was, Walt's a busy man, and let's get out of here. Sure. And uh, Walt said, no, no, said, let, let him stay. He said, I'll show him around. Oh. And, uh, and Walt took my Alabama mom and dad and uh, showed them for four hours around his dream factory. And uh, he showed them 
the animatronic uh, figures that they were creating, and uh, he'd take them on sets and say, now this film is about such and such, and I'll never forget that. That sounds like pure class. Real class. He, uh, uh, he had a loyalty toward his employees. There was a gardener that placed his lawnmower equipment uh, in the parking place of one of the producers, one of the, a new producer that had come on the lot, and this producer was chewing out this gardener from from one end of his body to the other. <laughs> and uh, Walt happened to walk along and uh, hear this, and he said, look here. He said, that man's been with me longer than you have. And he said, if you, don't, if you can't treat my employees better than that, he said, You're, you won't be here long. And uh, so he had a, a loyalty to the people that, uh, that worked for him, and it was like a family out there. How do you think Walt Disney would feel about Disney's direction these days? Well, uh, there there is a new direction. Uh, Dick Cook, who is from the old school and is uh, president now, um, during during Eisner's uh, campaign during his tenure at uh, at Disney, Walt was spinning uh, revolutions per minute uh, in his grave. In his grave, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, it became uh, whatever will uh, will enlarge the bottom line. We'll shoot it, whether it's a, a pretty woman about a young woman coming to to Hollywood and uh, and running into a, a rich millionaire and living uh, famously for the rest of her days uh, at the Beverly uh, Beverly Wilshire, I guess, hotel. Uh, so uh, a, a lot more young people. Uh, came to Hollywood as a result of that picture. Uh, that was that was Disney money that that made that picture. Hmm. Uh, so uh, Walt was a very moral man, and uh, he would not have uh, touched anything like that. Very interesting. Very, it's you know it's fascinating for the the rest of us to hear you talk like this because uh, we we speculate and we wonder and we get fed by the media and to hear it from you puts some things to rest, I think, for us. What about Elvis Presley? Well, people uh, often uh, call me and say, we're doing a thing on Elvis and we want to talk to you about Elvis. Um, and, and I say, look, I, I was under contract to MGM. I just got into Hollywood. Uh, they put me in that picture. And uh, I don't know, I did not know Elvis well enough to tell you that the, the deep... No. Uh, uh, feelings of of elvis's soul uh, but i'll i'll tell you this and so i i will uh give them a couple of lines but the uh, the picture uh was uh, you you have to tell me the name of the picture jailhouse, jailhouse rock. rock oh yeah that's right yeah right and uh, uh some of elvis's cronies uh said look you're uh, you're from alabama i said why don't you come hang out with us well, I'd been an only child, and we'd gone from construction site to construction site, so I didn't have a lot of social uh, uh, skills, and I didn't know how to hang out. And uh, so I really didn't hang out with Elvis, but uh, he was a very nice guy. Sure. We worked together well in the, the couple of scenes that I had in the picture. As I say, I was just starting out in Hollywood, and, uh, and we were both uh, green behind the ears. Well, did you spend much time with Harrison Ford? Uh, no, 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 no. That uh, I did that. That was a uh, cameo role. A cameo, that I yeah. did for my 
my friend uh, Bob Ramey, who was producing the picture. He said, would you, would you do this uh, cameo? And I said, yeah, and I was only there for two days. Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon, God rest his soul. Uh, a wonderful guy, uh, a great musician. Uh, he, he played the piano on the set uh, so often when we were doing Under the Yum Yum Tree. Hmm. And uh, I, I really enjoyed him, and a lot of laughs. What's this I hear about you and Steve McQueen pulling a prank on Frank Sinatra? Oh, well, um, Steve and I did uh, never so few with Frank, uh, again, uh, while I was under contract to MGM. And uh, we, you know, actors get bored on the set, and uh, and we were, uh, somebody had brought some cherry bombs, you know, the firecracker. Yeah. Uh uh, onto the set, and we were lighting them and throwing them at each other like <laughs> dumb kids, you know. And um, uh, somebody put one in my back pocket while I was re- uh, rehearsing. And I'll tell you, if a cherry bomb goes goes off with only one layer of uh, it stings uh, denim, you know, in between <laughs> in between you and your rear end, it it makes an impression. Yeah. And. Uh, and uh, I thought I thought it was Frank. I thought it, you know, only Sinatra would have the guts to do something like that because he could have injured me. So I asked McQueen. I said, "Let's let's uh, go to Tijuana and load up on uh, uh, load up on fireworks and let's blow up Sinatra." <laughs> and uh, not very so, few, not very many people would would venture into that realm. Well, let me tell you, we 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 learned our lesson. Uh, we we wired his uh, trailer. Uh, we had trailers out on the back lot at MGM, and we were shooting at night uh, the, the the movie. And um, uh, we we stuck the fuses to these uh, packages of fireworks through the screen from the inside to the outside, so we could go around outside the trailer and light the fuses. Oh, and uh, I asked Peter Lawford to. Uh, call frank to the telephone which he did and when he went in there slammed the door we were running around lighting the fuses and the inside of that trailer drew it went off like a roman candle and i tell you we jumped into some phony jungle foliage and we were first we were sniggering and laughing and then we thought you killed him you killed we we really have blown up frank and and we started thinking maybe we'd injured him. I mean, something terrible could happen, and something terrible could happen to us, too, as a result. Sure. Uh, and finally, the door opened, and the smoke billowed out, and, and, and Frank appears, and he's looking, and he's looking, and finally he speaks. I know who did this. <laughs> <laughs> and he said... I'm gonna get you. And he did. Oh man. He had his assistant carry a fully a full clip in one of the automatic weapons that we we had many of on the set because it was a war picture. Sure. And uh it it had a full load, a half a full half load of blanks. They in other words it had half the amount of powder. of uh, powder. And uh, whenever one of us uh, would turn our backs, uh, Frank would just take this 
automatic weapon and come up right behind our ear oh, no. and let that whole clip go. <laughs> and my ears are still ringing from that movie. Oh, that is a classic, classic story. One of the one of the best stories I've ever heard. Tony Orlando was telling me some great stuff about Jackie Gleason. Oh yeah. But your story has just become number one. <laughs> that is just hilarious. Who was it that said to you, "Keep hitting those high notes, Dean"? Oh, Bing Crosby. Um, I had just been signed at MGM, and you know the the studio system did a great thing in one in one respect, and and that was when a newcomer would uh, be put under contract, you were thrown in with some of the most creative, talented people in the world. And you were expected to live up to their level of, of, of uh, uh, performance. And so, you know, Liz Taylor would say, she didn't know me from anybody, but she knew that I was the new kid just out of the Navy and signed by Metro. And she said, hey, hey, Dean, you want to go down to stage 22? said, uh, uh, Frank and Bing Crosby, uh, Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby are doing their big number in, in high society. And I said, sure. So you go down and you see you see these pros uh, uh, doing a scene. And this was the great thing about the, the uh, studio system. And uh, so I met Bing and met Frank at that time, uh, though that was two years prior to the picture we made together. But uh, uh, the next day... Uh, I'm walking onto the lot, and and there's uh, Bing Crosby, and uh, he he shouted across the lot, "Hey, Dino, keep hitting those high ones." And I'm I'm thinking, how does this guy know that that I'm a singer? Uh, but word gets around, and it gives you such confidence, and also puts a lot of pressure on you to live up to their level of performance, as I say. Well, I would say positive peer pressure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Bing Crosby was one gentleman I, I always, always wanted to have the opportunity to have met. Him and James Taylor were the two of my favorites. Oh, my. Yeah, me yeah. too. So we've lost Bing, and uh, one of these days I'd love to sit down and have a chat with uh, with James Taylor. But in the meantime, we are on the phone with Dean Jones. And again, I, I know at the risk of sounding like I'm just completely sucking up to you, uh, again, thank you. Uh, it, just the the stuff that the happy memories that you brought into so many people's lives. It's a rare thing. When I I don't have very many childhood memories. I don't know if I've been blocking stuff or what what the go is. I have to go talk to Doctor Phil about that. But I just uh, these things stand out. Sitting in the theater well, and having yes. great times with my father, watching these shows. You know, uh, laughter doeth good like a medicine. I I read someplace, hmm. and you know where that comes from. That's scripture, as you know. And uh, and I I began to feel uh, when I did my first Disney picture that that laughter uh, had a great deal to do with the unity and and the happiness of families and I remember sitting in a theater when that darn cat opened which was my first Disney picture uh, I think it was in Chicago or someplace and uh, I I'd like to sneak in the back of the theater and kind of sit in the back row and just just to watch the reaction or listen to the reaction of the audiences. And uh, uh, I was sitting behind two little old ladies. And uh, at one point in the picture, they actually leaped to their feet, uh, punching each other in the ribs with their, with their elbows. And I thought to myself, if, if these ladies had any problems when they entered this theater, they have forgotten about them now. That's and, and that 
that made me want to do more Disney pictures, and uh, it, it convinced me, uh, the beginning of being convinced, that laughter does do good like a medicine, and laughter is worthwhile. And if you can have other people laugh, that you're contributing something good and positive to their lives. We are chatting with the one and only Dean Jones. And Dean, like so many... Uh, at some point, the fame and fortune just doesn't cut it, and you get sucked into the booze and the women and the sort of the typical post-production depression. What would you say would be the, the main contributing factor to the wheels coming off? Well, uh, it, there were several incidents uh, in which uh, God spoke to me. Uh, one was down the Baja Peninsula. I crashed and burned on my dirt bike. Uh, lay there for a day and a half uh, in the sand, and uh, and a poem uh, went over and over and over in my mind. A poem that I I remembered getting from the uh, voice uh, uh, coach at uh, MGM. She gave it to everybody. Gave it to Clark Gable and uh, and uh, Catherine Hepburn and Debbie Reynolds and everybody under contract. Glenn Ford. Everybody there at MGM, and she had given this little book. It was a poem called The Hound of Heaven Hmm. by Frances Thompson. I never remember reading it, but obviously I did. And lying there on my back, 500 miles below the Mexican border, with uh, my my dirt bike pretty well trashed lying beside me and my, my buddy's fist in my hip to keep me from bleeding to death, I busted my pelvis in 13 places, brain concussion, didn't know where I was. And the words to this poem, I fled him. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. It was about a man running away from God. And I had it in my mind. It was on a it was on a soundtrack there going over and over and over and that was that was the first time i i remember being touched by by the power of god but you were you were a stubborn fellow too because even though god was in relentless pursuit of you i mean you you still in a sense ran away i i ran away i ran away for another uh well it was about 3 or 4 years and uh and my wife and i were down in uh, in Mexico City, and she was healed of arthritis uh, with a prayer. Uh, we were walking around a cathedral just as tourists, and um, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, yeah, that's it. And somebody said, "Where did your wife get healed? I want to go there." I said, "Well, God has a local office. Where are you?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, but uh, uh, we, she walked out of there after we had about our heads and uh, I I said I claimed to be an atheist at that point but I said in my mind God healed Laurie's arthritis because she was taking 20 to 30 aspirin a day oh. and uh, we walked out and she she didn't take any more aspirin this, this blew my mind but there were events like that uh, that were leading up to my commitment to Christ or my recommitment really to Christ 
Tell us about that experience where you're uh, apparently sitting in some rented car in Rome after partying all night with some famous actress. I keep reading this quote, some famous actress, some famous actress, and of course it gets the, you know, the the, the thoughts going. Who's the famous actress? And you. Well, I've I've never said. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't want to uh, engage other people in my no. uh, in, in in my sins, if you will. No, and, and of course that's the that just is part and parcel of who you are dean i mean you are you are a class act in and of yourself so here you are you're you're in rome you partied all night with this you know anonymous famous actress and uh what what hit you well the the emptiness of my life hit me uh i sat there in in the rented car and and realized that i was not in control of my life I realized that I was being led around by my appetites and that, in, in essence, though I was doing a lot of things, who I was was an empty shell of a man. And I still did not relate it back to Sunday school in Alabama and the Prince of Peace who brought joy and salvation and redemption and, and strength and authority over hell. To, to everyone who asks him, I still did not relate back to that at that point. But it was it was a buildup of of things and experiences like that that finally convinced me. Being the selfish jerk that you were, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I appreciate your adequate uh, uh, analyzing the situation. Oh boy. What would you would you say that would be uh, maybe one of the main factors behind your divorce with your first wife May? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. There was there was no question about it. Yeah, it. I, I was I was to blame uh, completely for that divorce. Hmm. Tell us about that Mexican restaurant in Palm Palm Springs. How did you and Lori meet? Well, um, I was uh, over there studying a script. Uh, Laurie was a writer, and um, uh, she was over there making some notes and uh, on a project that she had. And uh, uh, I was by myself, and, and she was by herself, and she was on one side of the room, I was on the other. And uh, This is well scripted. <laughs> yeah, across a crowded room. <laughs> and uh, uh, she had seen me, and I hadn't seen her, but she walked over and uh, said, Dean, how are you? Now, we had met at a NBC Christmas party. Uh, I was doing a, a series called Ensign O'Toole, which was written by Bill Lederer, who had written The Ugly American, and Ensign O'Toole was the good American. He wrote a book about him, and uh, it was on NBC. And uh, she was playing the school marm, the love interest for uh, Dale Robertson, on... Uh, uh, Tales of Wells Fargo, so, and that was on NBC. So here was a uh, a Christmas party. The NBC was uh, 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 uncovering their their new schedule for the season, and uh, that's where we met. But this was several years before this uh, Mexican restaurant in Palm Springs. She comes over and uh, says hi, and I say, let's. Let's get together tomorrow and go out in the desert. I have some property out there I want to show you. And she said, okay. I've tried that line. It didn't work for me. 
Well, I uh, I got uh, a restaurant to make up a, a picnic uh, a picnic uh, lunch, and I picked her up, and we went out to this property. I for- forgot completely to pick up the picnic lunch, <laughs> and it was still back at the uh, restaurant. But anyway, boy, you're smooth. It it yeah right. I'm very very uh, impressed with this uh, young lady. And, we finally got married. Tremendous. Now, what role did uh, did former uh, pro wrestler Ted Christie play in you finally, and I mean finally, <laughs> surrendering your life to God? Well, I was rehearsing uh, uh, a play in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and uh, Ted uh, traveled with me. Uh, he drove the car, and he he did anything I needed to have done while I was on the road. And uh, so he was there, and uh, we we came out of a bar, and uh, uh, and I said I can I can take it from here, Ted. And he said, No, no, I better drive. I said, No, 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 I'm fine. Were you hammered? I, I'll yeah yeah. I'll I'll be all right once I get behind the wheel. I told him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> such idiocy. Uh, at any rate, I I I took him on a spin, hill climbing. Uh, through a construction site that had a huge mountain behind it, and I took this full-size American car uh, up the side of this mountain and and destroyed it, really, you essentially, mean- although it was still limping back, enough, had enough guts left to get us back to our lodge uh, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. You'd obviously been hanging around Steve McQueen a little too much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I was a bad influence on that boy. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, that night I stood in front of the window and just it, it all seemed to, to roll over me. The, the lostness, the emptiness, the, the feeling that uh, life was a joke and uh, that I really ought to end this, you know, nothing. I had money, I had fame, I, but I, I'm... I, I'm depressed i'm miserable i'm lost that's right that's the word for it and uh when i realized how desperate i was uh i turned and was walking back toward the bed and i suppose that that all of my mama's prayers uh came heaping down upon me because i knelt i knelt that night and gave my life to the lord jesus and the the peace of Christ rolled over me like an ocean wave. And I went back to the rehearsals the next day thinking, this this peace, this joy, this incredible freedom cannot last. I mean, I was, I was walking on eggs, petrified that this, this peaceful, wonderful sense of God's love and grace was going to disappear. But it never has, Drew. It never has. It's still with me. We're chatting with Dean Jones, of course, Disney icon, Hollywood icon. I gotta wonder when you, when you come back to Lori after surrendering your life to Christ. I mean, how did Lori take the whole born again thing? She said, "You're not going to change, are you?" <laughs> and what she should have been saying, of course, was, "Thank God you're going to change." But uh, she knew what she had uh, before, and uh, and she was afraid that something strange was going to happen, and. Uh, uh, that's that's another long story, but we worked all the way through it. You know, I often wonder the impact that 
it has on marriages when one partner or one spouse surrenders to Christ. And and I think typically, usually, I think, I think it's very rare to hear the stories where they, the spouse comes in and says, hey, I've surrendered my life to Christ, and the other spouse says, wow, that's great, I'm going to do that too. I think usually what happens is there's a battle that then proceeds. Yeah, yeah, very definitely. Um, but when uh, both of us made a public acknowledgement of Christ in a, in a little church here in Los Angeles, uh, that's when things begin to clear up. And we begin to see the God-given pattern for marriage and not just operate on our own selfishness and self-centeredness and, and independence and arrogance. And, uh, and the, Lord, the Lord worked it all out. But everything changed uh, from that point on. I mean, people uh, reacted differently to me uh, here in Hollywood. And... Uh, uh, and that's that's another story. You were quite impacted, would be the word, I guess, with Jack Hayford's ministry, correct? That's correct. And was it a cakewalk from that point on? <laughs> well, no, because that's what we tend to hear. We only hear sort of the glory stories, you know. Yeah, I, I used yeah. to be a jerk, and then I came to Christ, and now I'm I'm amazing, and everything's peachy. Well, you know, you you think you think it would be so easy to not work for two years and then be offered. Six hundred thousand dollars, and have to turn it down because there's a bathtub scene, you know, with a young woman. Uh, and <clears throat> I'm a granddad, and I don't want my grandchildren to see me with somebody else other than Grandma. Sure. And uh, and so you have to turn it down, and you think, well, okay, I I I needed money, I've turned down this uh, pile of it here, and uh, it's going to be easy from now on because I've gotten through that. I've uh, I've made a stand here. I'm not going to do that that kind of film. Uh, but the next one that comes along, and uh, there's more money involved. Uh, it's just as tough, and it doesn't get any easier. It gets tougher. No, but Dean, as far as the personal walk of faith. I know that in Hollywood there is a fair amount of persecution, and again, we'll talk about that in, in just a minute, but as far as your own personal walk of faith, as far as you changing, being changed from the inside, I mean, what do these words mean to you? Fear, guilt, hostility, ambition, depression, lust, self-pity, suicide. What do those words mean to you? Well, they they were right uh, right out of my roommate. Uh, somebody asked me if I, uh, if I said, you believe in the devil? And I said he was my roommate for 25 years, uh, and he brought depression, he brought guilt, he brought uh, all of these negatives to bear upon my life before and after. Hmm. But but the the word of God and the fellowship of the body of Christ and the teaching of anointed ministers and 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 on and on and on our resources, the name of Jesus. Uh, our resources in the body of Christ, we we not only get through them, yeah, it's tough, but we get through them with authority and with victory and with joy after. It's wow. real. Yeah. It's, it's very real. That's what I'm getting to. Yeah. But you have to be, you have to be laying it constantly on the altar all the time. You have to be ready to to die. Every day. Every day. Yeah. Speaking of dying, did you ever wish you'd never said, if God burns down this house tomorrow, I can praise the Lord right through it? Man, you really have done your research, Drew. 
uh, yeah, I don't say things like that anymore. No. <laughs> uh, but that was eight months after uh, we had uh, publicly confessed Christ, and uh, we were dealing for the first time with a couple that were contemplating divorce, and uh, we were trying to, to counsel them in our uh, awkward way. And uh, and the night before the house burned down, I, I said to Dwayne, uh, I, I said, Dwayne, you will never save your marriage unless you you plug into the love of God. You don't have enough love to save this marriage. But uh, he, I, I said, and I made this braggadocio statement, if, if I am so tuned in to the peace of Christ, I said, that if this house burns down tomorrow, I'll praise the Lord right through it. And the next morning, the house burned. That is wild. And I I learned not to make statements like that. <laughs> but geez. we also learned, uh, standing out on the pool deck and watching the house go up, we also learned that the Lord brings victory even in uh, crisis situations. And uh, I, I, I asked Laurie, do you do you remember what I said last night? And she said, yeah, I sure do. <laughs> I, I do remember that. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> thanks very much. And uh, I said, well, it's a, a good chance for us to live up to what I said, even though uh, I shouldn't have said it, uh, obviously. But uh, we began to to pray and, and honor the Lord and say, Lord, you're above this fire. You're above anything we face. Your presence is our joy. And we're... And, I I looked raised my head and looked at Laurie and and her face was as quiet and serene hmm. as it had been the night before at our our devotions and and it it hit me that that Stephen for instance being stoned in the streets of Jerusalem the first martyr it wasn't his his uh, heroism or his bravery that caused his face to shine like an angel's as the word says it it was the presence of the lord when the pres- when god is there you can face these things mm-hmm. and uh it was a great lesson to to learn even though the house was burned incredible story i mean you lost all of the the hollywood memorabilia or all of your well you lost everything didn't you well a great a great part of it but uh, the, the 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 fire did not come all the way to the back bedrooms uh, although everything was so smoky and everything, we had to sure. water damage and oh yeah, yeah. But uh, no, we still had uh, we still had a, a lot of things. But most of my uh, memorabilia, yeah, that's that was gone. How about your children, Dean? And again, just a reminder, folks, we're speaking with uh, Hollywood actor Dean Jones. Your children, uh, Carol and Deanna, of course, uh, Lori's boy Michael. I mean, what, what do they think about all this God stuff? Well, uh, they. They didn't know what to think at first, but it was that night of the fire when the house burned that they all came over to make sure we were okay. And uh, and after we had gone out to dinner and come back and and we were had dragged some uh, lawn chairs into the living room, the roof was gone. We could see the stars uh, from from the living room, and. Uh, we were sitting in these lawn chairs, and it was the first night where God brought all of us together. And uh, uh, one of my daughters was was very was more antagonistic than the other, 
but I said, would you mind if we just held hands and, and said a word of prayer? This was when they were ready to go. Hmm. And they said, yeah, okay. Okay, so they were, you know, they we'd been through a fire, so they were trying to be nice to, to mom and dad. Sure. And we held hands, and the Lord began to work in their lives, and now they're solid, mature believers. Wow. <laughs> wow. What that, I mean, that's a blessing. Forget all your Hollywood stuff. That's a yeah, blessing. That's right. That's right. And uh, Deanna uh, married a, uh, a composer, uh, arranger, uh, piano piano man who uh, is a worship leader. Huh. And... Uh, uh, Tom and Deanna. Tom uh, walks. He takes Pentecost walks across the country. He'll walk from uh, from uh, uh, Santa Monica, Los Angeles, California, in other words, uh, back to uh, Washington D.C. and stopping at little churches all the way along the way, saying, "Sign this pledge. I'm taking it to the president." <laughs> wow! And it's a it's a, uh, a call for God to bring restoration of righteousness in our land. Uh, and uh, so uh, we're very thankful for our families. Well, let's let's jump into the persecution side of, of your story. Uh, here's a quote. If born-again Christians have their way, we'll all have our phones tapped. They're the new Nazis, you know. Who said that? Yeah, well, uh, I won't tell you who said it, but it was a, <laughs> another well-known actor. Um we were backstage. Uh, I was. Uh, uh, it was an award show, and I was one of the presenters, and he was too. And we were. This was soon after coming to Christ, and uh, uh, so he made that statement. And uh, I said, "Did you know I'm born again?" And he said, "Oh," and, and said the name of the Lord. Uh, said, "You'll never speak to me again." Uh, and I said, "No, no, I'll I'll speak to you again." But the. The change in um, the attitude of people toward me uh, was quite obvious, quite uh, striking. Well, apparently you, you were making two pictures a year and then didn't work for 11 years. Is that true? I was referring to starring in a, in a feature-length motion picture. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've been out on the road with Showboat. Uh, I have worked uh, since coming to Christ. But it, as far as starring in another motion picture after Born Again, when I made Born Again, that was finally the uh, last uh, nail, so to last speak, nail in the coffin, yeah, know, of my career. Um, uh, and and you know, even when I say something like that, uh, I I recognize that I should not be that negative. I should not be speaking things like that because God may not have that in his mind. Sure. And I want to do what God wants me to do, not what I have said as a matter of of course. But, yeah, it's true. For 11 years, I did not uh, uh, star, at the time that I wrote what you're referring to, uh, that I did not star in a feature-length motion picture. When we're finished speaking with you, uh, Dean, we're going to ask our listeners, do you think uh, Christians are actually persecuted in North America. I mean, what is North American persecution anyway, especially as as it compares with the rest of the world and, and what's going on around a different... I mean, we're not, we don't have guns put, it or put to our heads here for our faith, do we? Well, you're, you're losing work, very possibly. Uh, I've, uh, I've lost work in Hollywood as a result, but it's trivial persecution. 
the real persecution is going on uh, around the world, uh, especially in Islamic countries where Sharia law is in, in place. And uh, we have no idea of the tragic, cruel, and, and horrible circumstances of some uh, Christians and Jews, and even moderate Muslims, uh, because uh, the jihadists are just as likely uh, to kill a moderate Muslim if that Muslim is kind to a Christian or a Jew. And uh, uh, that's, that's one reason we started the rescue campaign. Of course, we're talking about Christian Rescue Committee, and is that your new lifeblood these days? I mean, the passion certainly seems to be there as far as your, your position here. You're the president of Christian Rescue Committee? Yeah, that's uh, that takes up about fifty uh, percent of my time, actually. Yeah, but we don't get it. I mean, we live here in our comfortable backyards in North America, and we say, we talk about persecution of those around the world for their faith. We kind of go, yeah, 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 yeah. You have to bring it home for us here. You have to share a story of a real life and a real person so that we get this. Well, there are two hundred million uh, Christians who have a story about persecution. Uh, come on, I, come on. Don't... I thought it was a, an exaggerated figure, too, Drew, but, but it's not. Uh, uh, I was doing, uh, <clears throat> uh, oh my goodness, showboat at Kennedy Center when, when a, a Jewish friend came backstage and said, you know, you, you Christians helped us get uh, our fellow Jews uh, out of the Soviet Union uh, when, when we needed you, and we, we couldn't have done it without you. And yet now there are 200 million uh, Christians who are under persecution, and the Christian church is doing nothing. And I said, no, come on, no, no, 200 million, that's not an accurate figure. And yet I talked to some people I know in Washington and asked for human rights activists to, to come to our hotel and talk to us, Laurie and myself, and, uh, uh, and we checked these figures out. It's a conservative figure. Wow. And uh, we were in one meeting, uh, and uh, this young woman said, you know, 15 Christians have just been picked up in Saudi Arabia, and uh, they are thrown in prison. They're being tortured. Well, it turned out, actually, that they were being beaten. Uh, there were uh, broken, a broken ankle, broken ribs, and, and that sort of thing. I thought uh, being, a, uh, being a vet from... Uh, Korea, uh, the Korean War, that uh, there were bamboo under the fingernails sure. or something. That wasn't the case, but in any case, they were being abused. And uh, uh, they, are, they had a prayer meeting, and the Mutawa, the uh, religious police, found out about it. A Saudi citizen, by the way, gets $3,000 if they'll blow the whistle on a Christian uh, prayer meeting. Really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they had come and, and taken these people away, and I said, and we were in this meeting now uh, in Washington, D.C., in our hotel, and I said, well, how do we get these people out of prison? And uh, somebody said, well, oh, oh, I said, let's call somebody in the government. I know a few people. Let's call somebody and get, get the government to do something about this. And they said, well, the, the U.S. government has no money to rescue Christians. Uh and uh, I said, well, what do we do? And this one woman said, well, we should send an advocate, send somebody versed in international law uh, over to Riyadh and uh, negotiate their release. 
And I said, well, uh, then, then that's when I said, let's call somebody in the government. And they said, well, there's no money in the U.S. government to go over and rescue a Christian. Right. And I said, well, it's funded right now. Done. I had, I had looked at Laurie, and, and I, I knew that she was with me. And uh, I said, it's funded right now. Who can go? And this young woman said, well, I'll go if, if my boss will let me off. And uh, I said, well, who's your boss? And she said, uh, Senator Sam Brownback. And I said, well, I know Sam Brownback. I said, he'll let you off. <laughs> and he did. And uh, this young woman went over, stayed for three weeks. Uh, she was a Yale graduate, uh, articulate, uh, devout Christian. Uh, willing to risk herself uh, in the Lord's work, and uh, she she it's a long story, and, and some funny things happened to her over there, but I won't get into it. Anyway, these people were on planes uh, within three weeks out of Riyadh, and that was the first rescue of the Christian Rescue Committee. Wow. Well, I you know here I I have this problem where I I'm an, I'm a selfish narcissistic North American. That's that's the word out. That's the buzz. Yeah. That's the buzz, <laughs> and and I don't I like I don't get this. I mean, until we start hearing story after story. I mean, I'm thankful for Voice of the Martyrs. I, I they've they've helped bring a big a bit of a wake up call in my brain. Yeah, and I'm helpful for the stuff that I've read on your website, which incidentally is rescues plural rescues dot org, Christian Rescue Committee. Because had I not come across what you do, had I not stuck my nose into the research, I wouldn't have believed it myself. Well, it's unbelievable, uh, Drew. It honestly is. But um, under Sharia law, under Islamic law, um, one one person. I mean, if 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 you're a Christian and I'm a Muslim, and I say, you know, Drew said something bad about Islam, that's a death sentence. It's done. And and that testimony is taken, and you are taken away. Wow. Um, now you'll you'll go to court. Uh, and in one case, we had a uh, a judge let the the three women off, three teachers, and I I won't say where they were, but he let them off, and the judge was assassinated. Uh, there was an attempt on the lives of the three ladies. We got them to Los Angeles, and it's Laurie's and my joy uh, when when they they get off the plane in L.A. If that's where we fly them into. To, to see these people, oh, I tell you, there, there were two little kids uh, about two months ago, uh, uh, and with the, with the mama from the Chin tribe, I think it's probably so remote I can, I can give you the name of their tribe, but uh, it's a Burmese tribe by the name of Chin, and they, they've been, it's 90% Christian, mm -hmm. and they've been persecuted for 100 years. And uh, a pastor... Uh, a young pastor uh, was uh, there was an attempt on his life. He fled uh, to save his own life and could not go back to get his wife and two kids out. And it, it's a long story, but we we brought them to Los Angeles and to see those little kids. They were the most beautiful kids that you have ever seen. Get off the plane and and uh, come to meet us uh, uh, and. And then they were going on the next morning to meet with the husband, father, pastor, who was in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And uh, the joy of it, to think that we've had a hand mm. with God's help 
in saving somebody's life and saving somebody's life to continue ministry. It's got to be overwhelming sometimes, emotionally. It is. It really is. It's a great blessing. It is more more uh, beautiful to give than to receive. Well, the thing that stands out about the Christian Rescue Committee, from my point of view, is not only the good work that you do, but the fact that you do this work despite the the, the person's faith. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, we're talking about any faith group here. You're, you're not just doing this for Christians. No, no. Because, you know, that's the heart of our country. Uh, that That's our founding. Um, here's George Washington, and would he would take a contingent... Uh, now, all of these guys were white Protestants uh, that, that founded our country. And yet, the, Washington would take a contingent of the Continental Congress over to the Catholic Church hmm. to, to sit in on the Mass. And they would march with the rabbis down Main Street in the parade. Um, there was a, an openness of freedom because God gives us ultimate freedom. How are people going to know they can be free in Christ if we the representatives of him uh, on the earth now are are not giving them freedom uh, it it can't happen otherwise and uh oh anyway well i am i'm you you'd, you'd better you'd better interrupt here my no no but i'm i mean i'm just listening <laughs> i i i am i'm enjoying hearing your passion because it's it <laughs> it's a very rare thing to hear these days someone genuinely passionate about what they're involved in and uh, Dean Jones is the president of the Christian Rescue Committee. And the, the website is rescues, plural, rescues.org. Fascinating reading there. Uh, I would say uh, an organization well worthy of your dollars, folks, if you wanted to uh, participate or, or serve them in any way possible. Fair enough? Thank you, Duru. Yes. Are you still living in the home that Tarzan built? <laughs> yeah, we're still uh, in our, our, our home. Uh, it was a three-bedroom home. We, uh, it's now a two-bedroom home. We have a prophet's chamber for our kids as they come through town. <laughs> but uh, it was built on the, uh, the old uh, ranch of uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, who wrote the Tarzan novels and uh, stories. And uh, uh, you can still hear him swinging through the trees sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, listen, uh, Dean Jones, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you, to find out more about your heartbeat, your life, your passions, and uh, this journey. I mean, look, from my point of view, just as a pure outsider, to me, it's obvious that God has has been in relentless pursuit of you, speaking of the hound of heaven. Yeah, 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 he he certainly was. He He never gave up on me, Drew. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind. And in the mist of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. I pray he'll never give up on me, and I know he never will. Yeah, Dean Jones, it's it's been an honor. I appreciate your time. It's been my pleasure. God bless you, Drew. Thanks, mate. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. Very rarely do we come across... Such class as that. Hollywood actor Dean Jones. Again, the website www.rescues.org. If you want to find out more about Dean Jones and what he's up to. Humility is what struck me in that conversation. When we come back from our break, we'll be joined by Stephen Lewis 
former U.N. Special Envoy for HIV-AIDS in Africa. Another tremendous man doing tremendous things. These guys are inspirational to me. We'll be right back. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca.